So here is the agreement that we were supposed to make beforehand. Mm. We need to be cool. We can't be lame. We need to not like fangirl too much. We need to like... Uh, I think no amount of fangirling is inappropriate, frankly. (laughs) But what if he thinks we're lame? We need to look good. (sighs) Okay. Sophisticated. Don't you see these black nails? I am the height of chicness. When you need some dough, you don't know where to go in this patriarchal capitalist hellscape. Well, here's the sitch. We're gonna help you, sis, because bitches get a riches. Bitches get a riches. Bitches get a riches. Bitches get a riches. And so can you. All right. Okay. We got this. <clears throat> okay. Start speaking, woman. <laughs> okay. Guys, I'm Kitty. I'm Piggy. I'm Wolfie, aka Chris Dane Owens. <laughs> and we are the bitches and bitches get riches. We're the magically gifted heroes from the spirit realm that the prophecy foretold. <laughs> and we are here to bring magic back to all the kingdom and rule with courage and wisdom and above all, love. Our time on this planet is limited. So let's get started. Woohoo! All right. So you guys might have noticed that today we have a very special guest. Uh, you've heard us fangirling about him and his epic fantasy rock music videos before in previous episodes and all over our social media. So we are unbelievably excited to introduce producer, composer, actor, musician, and haver of great hair, Chris Dane Owens. Hi, lady. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Piggy. Thank you, Kitty. It's a delight to be here. And you're my new favorite people. You need to know that. Um, you we, heard it here first. We loved the review of the new music video and your excitement for the art overall. I'm very touched in it. It means a lot to me. It really does. Very sincerely. So thank you for having me. Oh, oh, oh my God. So I, okay. So... Um, for <laughs> we said for, no intense fangirling. I know, just a little. Okay, so I'm going to go into this assuming that we've got some Christine Owen fans who are coming in who have never heard us before, and we have some diehard BGR stands who somehow were like up getting a snack every time we've discussed <laughs> our adoration for Christine Owens. So no shame. Like everybody needs their triscuits. So let's discuss uh, just mm, briefly exactly. who each of us are for any crossover audiences. So, um, Piggy, you and I are. Personal finance experts. Experts. Big Uh, quotes around experts. Absolutely. Um, Big bunny ears. Um, We are two friends who met when we were randomly assigned roommates in college. And wouldn't you know it, our freshman year, a little video came out called Shine On Me. And like you and I were already getting close. We had a third roommate to... Um, make our lives miserable, which really like made us like war buddies. <laughs> it's true. Um, so we bought it through adversity. We were, we were already getting close, but then I think Shine on Me came out, and we both like we lost everybody our watched minds. it multiple times, crowded around our like tiny stinky dorm room, and um. So Christine Owens has always been like a foundational part of our friendship, and mm-hmm. I when we were talking about like. You know, we want to put together this this blog and then later this podcast where we teach young people how to, like, manage their personal finances and, like, their early to mid-career transition and also, like, that basic adulting stuff. 
Um, I think we we have so much passion for the youth. And um, one of the things that I really identify with is like younger folks have so much spirit and creativity and joy Mm -hmm. and like life has a way of really pounding that out of them. And Christine Owens's music videos to me felt like, hold on, I'm here with an emergency injection of what you need, which is... Mm -hmm joyful creativity and it is at its absolute finest so that's kind of us chris tell us about you well that's lovely ladies thank you and i really appreciate that because i'm really lucky in the team that i have and i'll Mm -hmm. I'll certainly share lots and lots about those uh my group in a little bit but there is also a solitary aspect to this you you create things in a in your own little laboratory and uh, when you're done, you finally put the, the tinsel and the bow on it, and then you're ready to release it. And you don't know what's going to happen with it. Uh, so you just hope that people see it, respond, that you find your audience is kind of the thing, that people that spark to that particular form of art. Um, and it's been so rewarding to me. Uh, what I do a, a lot of things professionally. Um, I've had some good luck uh, creating uh, television shows, uh, mostly in the reality format. Um, and, uh, that gave me some resources to begin to do this world, Chris's world, uh, fantasy world. Um, and <laughs> Christine Owens cinematic universe, yeah, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, and a lot of the people that are in the project are people that I've worked with for years. So it's kind of like I take my little treasured family and I bring them with me. Um, and again, I'll tell you more about that, but so pr- producing some things gave me <clears throat> forgive me, give me the chops to, um, no, not be afraid of the process, right? I'd never done anything like the shine video or Lightspeed before, but there was at least an understanding of the mechanics of it. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, we put it out and, um, that do you want me to go into this or do you want me to stop and yeah well i mean we we would never dream of stopping you from speaking um that is not in our brand <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely not but yeah no i mean this is a finance podcast and we're we're expected to like ask finance based questions but i think honestly a, a lot of our listeners really like there there's i know we have a lot of young artists who listen to us and a lot of people who are working a day job trying to fund a dream project um and i look at your work and the work that you and your team have put together and i see that like what you've done is you've funded a dream project you've you know made a dream happen and i would i would love to know anything and everything you can tell us about sure. that process the shine on me budget was about $70,000 and uh, I know that sounds like a, a lot compared to certain music videos, but it's also not compared to some of the really expensive ones that were being produced on a Michael Jackson level and, uh, oh, wow. you know, th- th- those extravagant videos. So what I love is movies and fantasy, and I really wanted to create a piece of art that looked like the trailer to a movie that kind of doesn't exist but potentially could exist. And I was hoping, the hope was that, People would connect their own dots of the story, that there was enough mm-hmm. structure in it that you could have resonance with the imagery, but conversely also weave your own tale and maybe look at it differently each time you see it. So um, one of the satisfying things was that a lot of schools have written to me, a lot of teachers uh, at university level and high school level, and they use that video as a writing tool, like a creative writing tool where they go, love what does this mean to you? And then the students write it. And I've been sent 
so many stories uh, over that the years. That is so cool. To kind of give my Basically commentary. like fan fiction of right. like, CDO here's what I think fiction. is going on with the witches and the and the queen and yeah, oh my God, I love it. So That's that was, amazing. That was very special. So so that was the budget of that project and that was self-funded. I was doing well I, with the television stuff at that time and um, I really believe in believing in oneself, um, you mm-hmm. know, and that you have to show the world oftentimes what you're capable of. And so, and for me as an artist, this was an absolute must. I needed to do this on the very deepest core level, put this out of there. Of course, yeah. Um, cause my album was done and I really wanted to do, uh, get into the video version of it, um, which is a whole life of its own, isn't it? Because if you just listen to the songs, you have your own interpretation from an audio mm-hmm. standpoint, but when you add the visuals, it becomes a d- completely different thing. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is the album Bluestone. Is yeah. that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, which is fantastic. Thank uh, you. Guys, if you have not listened Highly to Bluestone, like, go stream it. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> and now I feel like this is kind of a natural point for me to say, Piggy, any music nerdery that you would like to go on ahead and, <sighs> and I'm just going to let you do your thing. Oh, yeah, this is true. So I, I am also I'm not a professional, but I am also a musician. Neat. I play guitar and I sing. Um, so one, one of the things I appreciate about the music videos, especially the most recent one, uh, Do You Believe in Miracles, is you have those wide shots where I can tell what chords you're playing by looking at the guitar. So thank you sure. for helping me learn to play your songs myself. <laughs> okay, good. The chord structure is actually pretty simple on that one, but there's a lot of o- o- counterpoint overlays with the guitar is doing. Okay. Right? But it's not a very complex song. I think you'll be able to find it. And if you need me to send you the chords, I'm happy to do that. Would, oh, would so you really? Giving. I would love that. <laughs> and I put I would I, love that. I put the Gretsch up here for you ladies because you, you Yeah. Is that a semi hollow body? Yeah, I, I can't got, it has, say, okay, cha- yeah. it has chambers. This whole guitar weighs like almost barely seven pounds. It's very light. Yeah, yeah. And uh it's got big uh, kind of chambers um that make it more hollow and much lighter to throw around. But it has no, a really good sound. I love it's, that. A, it's a wonderful instrument. I got that in two thousand and six. I first saw it in Japan and um I'm really inspired by fantasy movies, as you know, and one of my mm-hmm. favorites is The Wizard of Oz. And so this is an homage to the Emerald City. Oh, my God. The Emerald Green. I love, I love that. I um, love and it. For, for those who are just listening instead of watching, um, what we are looking at is a beautiful emerald green with uh, gold pickups, electric guitar, semi-hollow body. That's um, like and sparkling. It's sparkling. It is. Sparkling. It's called yes. a Gretsch Sparkle Jet is what his name is. Oh Gretsch my god! Do you have like a pet it. name for it? No, I don't. I mean, I just call it my jet half the time. Oh, okay. I like that. I like yeah. that. Um, awesome. Well, so you've mentioned fantasy movies a couple of times, yeah. and one of the things—I mean, we're both a couple of big fa- fantasy nerds. Um, so uh, one of the things we wanted to ask you is, like, you know, what are your favorite fantasy movies and books? Uh, what inspired you? Um, or as if like. Did you have any influences from other fantasy media? A lot, a lot. I mean, I think that I guess you could say I'm kind of an inspiration junkie in that my attention can get magnetized uh, from art, whether it's music or visual art. Uh, and I love movies. I love movies. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, my girlfriend and I would literally go to a movie, two movies a week in the theater. Every, every week, week in, week out. I love it. And, wow. um, since I was a little kid, I've been at least seeing one movie in the theater every week. So for me, like, uh, I would say, of course, The Wizard of Oz would be a constant inspiration. Um, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark, the adventure, oh, the yes. fantasy, the spirit. I was, 
spirituality. Mm-hmm. I was wondering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, I love the Princess Bride and and uh, the, that's the my humor. favorite. <laughs> Isn't it great? It's just so it's, charming. It's so charming. Yes. It's and one I, of I mean, those films that, like, when it's on the air, I'm like, oh, I was doing something else, but. Now I seem to be watching you The Princess Bride. It's pretty it, right. much that and The Shawshank Redemption. If it's oh, on, yeah. I'm like, I guess I'm watching. Obviously, I'm watching it. I think I have every line of dialogue memorized. Yeah, I think so, too. That's yeah. really great. So uh, let's see what else. Um, I love the movie Field of Dreams, which I would call it in the sci-fi uh, oh, genre. Yes. And I know you ladies yes. like the song uh, Lightspeed. There's a lyric about Field of Dreams in there, which to me oh, is Oh, is a, there? Yeah. A uh, field, a field of, of dreams. Oh my god! Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love oh it. I love it. Um, That's so amazing. So I was actually just listening to um, an interview with uh, the the comic book author Alan Moore, yeah. and one of the things he said was, um, "If you want to write, read books. Yeah. Read great books. Read good books, but also read terrible books." Huh. Um, there's nothing that galvanizes your creativity more than reading a really bad book and thinking, well, this guy, I could write better than him. Kind of on the same question. Is there anything that you're like, this is bad. This is not good. I'm not like recommending that people go out and and consume this, but that you're just like, but there's ideas in here that I love. Any media like that, that you're like, I'm not going to say this is good, but it moves me. There's always something about... You know, growing up in Hollywood and uh, seeing as many films, you do tend to, and obviously knowing people that work on films, you do tend to look at things with a redeemer's eye, meaning even if everybody's kind of trashing the piece of art and they don't connect with it, you always try to find something about it that you appreciate, whether it's performances, Mm. whether it's cinematography, whether it's the score, whether it's the pacing and the editing. Uh, the look, just the color, the look of the film. So I'm, I'm big on that. There's, I do, I tend to see things, maybe not recommending them, but going like, well, I got something out of it all the time. Um, yeah. you know, looking at it with that, uh, with kind of a kindness, if you will, towards all the mm-hmm. people that work really hard to create it. So speaking on Piggy's behalf, I think, you know, going into art school, um, we were both feeling like the tension of the creative um, and uh, the the will to imagine very freely um, as opposed to the sort of like financial and the realistic of like, well, yeah. it needs to be in budget and it needs to be doable and um, and you need to be realistic mm-hmm. about your aspirations. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like both of us have really struggled throughout our lives, especially when we were in our kind of like te- late teens and, and 20s. Yeah. Thinking about like, am I a sellout if I take these projects that pay me well, but don't artistically fulfill me if I then go out and create my own works. And I know, Piggy, for you, like, am I, you know, turning my back on my gifts with music if that's not like my center central career? But also, if I make it my central career, then isn't that going to like leech the Suck joy, the joy of out of creating yeah. out of me? So yeah. there's kind of like a tension between... um the creative spirit and the financial spirit. And how is that something that you have encountered and dealt with throughout your career? For sure. I feel really strongly about that. It's that kind of notion of you do the things you have to do in order to do the things you want to do. Uh, mm. And a lot of times the things you want to do require funding. Um, and yeah. so it, you, it's, it's an important um, mission uh, to set out that course of, well, look, I've got to pay my bills. I have to think, you know, 
the world is expensive and I gotta eat. I gotta eat. Um, <laughs> you got rent I, to pay. That's right. And I want to uplift other people's lives if I can as well. And so all that takes money. Uh, and then I, but I really want to do this other thing too. And so I'm big on the, we'll call it the A plan and the B plan of life, mm-hmm. you know, and you work very hard on both. There's no laziness on either track because there can yeah. be. Sometimes maybe your B plan is all that is ever achieved, but that's very satisfying too. You know, if you choose well and, and you stay on course. Um, so I'm really an advocate for that because art, art can be expensive, just the gear to buy, depending on what you want to mm-hmm. create. I mean, if, if you're an oil painter, all those supplies are expensive. Um, yeah. and if you want to do this kind of stuff and shoot movies and, you know, make records, um, nothing is cheap, even though what yeah. I love about our, our era that we're in is that, that the democratization of all of this, that, you yeah, can watch your own album out from your living room. You can make your own music videos. They certainly don't have to be fancy like mine. They can mm-hmm. be very moving and simple uh, and really touch people because the art translates through, through the medium. Through the medium, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can record a podcast from your home while I your family it. is, you know, shuffled into another room and threatened with bodily harm to be quiet. So. <laughs> And All sh- your dogs bribed with many, many chew toys. If, <laughs> we were, if we were to show people what we're doing, what you ladies are doing and what this art is, and that we were able to do it ourselves to people 50 years ago or 70 years ago, they think that's impossible. That's not – you Absolutely. have a television yeah. studio. You can reach millions of people. Um, so it's very special. And, uh, and, and I think it's something to be embraced and to be encouraged in, in a lot of people. It's like, hey, put out your art. Do the best you can always know that you'll, what you do now may not be as good as what you do later, but you have to start somewhere. And it's that notion of how do I know a thing is beautiful unless it has form? We've got all this mm-hmm. beauty inside of us, all of this beauty inside of each of us. But unless we put it into form, it doesn't reach anybody. It stays inside of us. I love I'm, that. Oh, I, um, I'll put that on a t-shirt. And yes, there's beauty inside myself. of us. Um, <laughs> So something you said really uh, moved me because I think it it definitely comes to the core of, of what we do at Bitches Get Riches as well, which is you said, you know, you have to, even if you fund your your art, you know, you have to try and lift other people up as you do that as well. Right. I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, how you have used your art and your creative process to lift others up as well. Well, I mean, you, like I said, you, you create. So first it started with the Shine On Me music video and, uh, wonderful and surprising things happened with that. You know, we, we, we put it out, uh, on YouTube. And I remember looking at one point and it's like, Oh, we've got our first thousand views. That's so neat. I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't done with my record. And then all of a sudden it was getting like 15, 20,000 views a week. And um, I got reach outs from television shows. Then it just kind of took off on its own. And the idea is that your art can speak for you in your absence. Um, mm-hmm. And so when people tell me how much the art is meant to them, that's always very rewarding uh, because you hope it does. You know, this wasn't it was made to speak to people. All of everything I've been doing is made to speak to people. And I'm hoping that it finds its audience. And I hope that the film does, too. We we work so hard on this. And I know we're going to get to that in a second. But um, uh, so I'm, I always get fed emotionally when I hear that uh, the work has meant something to people. We talked about the um, the difficulty of like being self-funded and finding the money to really prioritize 
um, what it takes to invest in yourself creatively. But also, I think there's a major barrier that I would identify is true with myself, probably with you, Piggy, Mm -hmm. um, and with a lot of our readers, which is perfectionism. (laughs) And this idea that, like, if I can't do something perfectly to a super, super, super high standard, then I don't want to do it at all. And I'm never going to try because I am kind of convinced that I can't, I can't do it or I can't do it the way that it looks in my head. Um, So can you talk a little bit about like, do you identify with having that kind of demon of perfectionism within (laughs) you? And how have you learned to manage that kind of feeling of like wanting to portray a vision, being very creatively in control of of what you're producing and wanting to meet a standard, but also like better out than in. Right. No, it's a really important discussion because it's one never wants to get paralyzed in their process, right? You want to see it through. And so the idea is I've got an idea. I'm not exactly sure I can turn what I'm visualizing into reality, but maybe what happens in that process too is it doesn't look exactly like what I thought, but I, I like it. I'm proud of that. I feel like it communicates something for the time because you'll never achieve perfection. And even if you were to talk to, you know, master filmmakers like Steven Spielberg or something, they'd probably go, ah, that shot bugs me or the CG at the time was this. Now yeah, it's this. Yep, yep. And mm-hmm. maybe there's even a cringe factor. I mean, I had heard that George Lucas wasn't entirely happy with Star Wars, which is one of the greatest <laughs> movies imagine? ever made. Right. Yeah. So I think it, it does come with the process, but. If you allow yourself permission to do, do it and know that you'll learn and you'll grow from it. Um, that's, that's as good as it gets. And, um, just do your best, you know, put your extra effort into it. You cannot be lazy in this process. That's for sure. I love that. I love that. So for our dedicated listeners, um, all of this has been leading to something. All of the music videos and the albums have been leading to something. And that is the feature film Empire Queen. Uh, And yeah, can you give us like a little bit of a preview of the movie? And then we'll we'll see some clips. Okay. So um, so when this initially became popular, that project, uh, an agent, uh, a CAA agent asked me out to lunch and said, this is really neat what you guys are doing. Would you, would you be interested in doing a movie? And I said, well, yeah, that would be great. But movies cost a lot of money. Um, yeah. I mean, even Shine on Me was shot on 35 millimeter film back then. It wasn't digital. Oh, my God. Um, it looked really good. All right. As a film nerd, it looked really good. Thank Continue you. on. So, so then some years go by and then the digital uh, arena starts to catch up and you can buy affordable gear and you can edit at home. And so then, uh, then Lightspeed came out and that was received wonderfully and people enjoyed the continuation of the story. And it was like, gosh, could we really do this? So, so in come my partners, right? I've got a wonderful partner in my buddy, Jay Schultz, Jason Schultz. He's one of the co-stars in the film. He mm-hmm. co-wrote it with me. He co-directs it with me and he co-produces it with me. So we are, um, we and are, he's quite the looker. You can tell him that he, from me. Oh, I'll tell is him. He, is he the is he the he's pirate? Guy. He's the captain. He's the pirate. Yeah, captain. He, he plays Captain <laughs> Montgomery Sterling. And so the challenge was how to um, take nonverbal imagery and go. Well, what's the story that we want to tell, and can we tell that story? Yeah. All uh, right. So the initially we have a wonderful executive producer in Kiki Coral. Kiki was. And is one of the film's true guardian angels because she uh, was able to secure the funding for our first big shoot. 
And our first Love big it. shoot was in Portland. Um, so it's, you know, it looks like Middle Earth there. Uh, oh, and so green and yeah, lush. And CL uh, Post, who's our wonderful star in the film, and she's the redhead in all the music videos. And, and we love her. Adorable, we beautiful redhead. And she's yes. so talented. <laughs> and the thing was, the idea of like, well, how do we turn nonverbal into verbal? And can everybody act? Right? I don't know. Well, CL's <laughs> a, a wonderful actress. She's very funny. And um, I'm. we tried to focus on that so that the film is joyful and humorous. And again, I think Princess Bride or Harry Potter humor is kind of the direction yes. we were heading. Yeah. And yes. I absolutely get veins of Princess Bride just from the, the totally. clips. And it was, I mean, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but like, I, I was so surprised by that because there are some scenes in the music videos that are like, they're very dark, they're very dramatic. And the fact that there's like humor coming through when you add dialogue, I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, this adds like a whole other dimension that is... I feel necessary to, you know, the fantasy genre, especially in things like The Princess Bride, even in Lord of the Rings. Like, you have to have that have humor right. in and darkness. Yeah. Gotta have potatoes. Um, yeah, right. exactly. And we love, you know, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy is fun. I love that first Jumanji yeah. with uh, the Jumanji yes. film. It's so good. Yes. Right? A great so movie. A great movie. It's fun. Um, it's adventurous. So we've got, you know, so then then the idea is, is, is CL on board? Can she? Will she be Ara Winter? Uh, the lead, and we kind of build the movie around her, and she's like, "Yes, please, let's go." Um, nice. And then Mary uh, Elise Hayden, who is um, one of the witch witch queens in the first two music videos, yes. is our central queen. It's so joyful to think about like mm-hmm. the sense of community that comes when you put yourself out there and you and you say like, "I have a vision, and I'm just going to like attract people who can help me." execute this vision. Yes. Very much yes. so. And, and that was certainly this story, which is it was a, a family already because we've been working on the music videos. Um, mm-hmm. And then it was, hey, let's try to do a movie. And, you know, we've shot for 100 days, which is not an independent, uh, you know, that's kind of studio level commitment. Um, yeah. We just kept going. And the film did get bigger. I think initially the vision was with the initial investment that Kiki was able to secure was let's, we shot all of our, uh, all of our Portland footage. We started to build the scenes and we, we first of all said, I think we can do this. You know, I think this might be good. And I, it can be, you know, what is my character? Um, how do I speak? What is my dialogue? What is the tone? So those are all fine tunings that needed to take place that I think once we got our groove, we stuck with it. Uh, and I think the tone is consistent throughout, which which I'm very happy about. Um, and then we had to have our Lord Voss character, which is played by Yano Yanosik. And Yano's been a buddy. He's we're in a band together as well. Um, and he's this great six four guy, and with his boots on, he's six six, and oh, nice. you know he's very scary and ominous. And he did a wonderful job. And um, so we had our core core cast right um, that were basically in the music videos. Uh, we did recast the two sisters. Um, and we have Desi Mitchison, who's one of the queens, uh, and we have Emra Bell, who's the other one, and we get mm-hmm. to know them through magic mirrors in the movie. Um, <gasps> they're in their respective Love kingdoms. It. And, um, and then it was game on. And so we shot, you know, as I said, a hundred days, we shot out at sea, we shot in the snow, we went to the forest, we went to the desert, we, um, shot oh, underwater. Lord. Um, we just kept shooting. Planes, and, trains, and automobiles. Right. Oh my God. I love it. And so, the, you know, and then build, building it because it is a Lord of the Rings kind of movie in that it's a trekking yeah. adventure. And we, yeah. we, there's four scary caves where we have to go get some relics. 
Um, the big goal in the film is to get the sovereign wand, which is a very powerful mm-hmm. uh, instrument of magic. Uh, that in the right hands, it you can basically run rule a kingdom. Um, and there is a prophecy about somebody. The overarching theory or theme of the film is um, let there be magic for everyone. Uh, in that the that democratization, democratization again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> everybody should know magic, and everybody should be able to do it. And magic in our realm is not just parlor tricks. It's you can heal with magic. We see our healing uh, somebody. Um, you can teleport with magic. Uh, you can defend yourself with magic. So it's really kind of like survival tools uh, mm-hmm. that should be available to people. Uh, and and what's beyond it? Meaning it's kind of from the spirit, this magic. So what what else can be created with it? It's unlimited. So I, oh, Christine I Owen said, seize the means of production. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm absolutely in love with this because... So we were about 13 years old when the first Harry Potter book came out, um, mm-hmm. just to like fully date us for b- both ends uh, of the spectrum of people we were who 11. listened to this. <laughs> round parts, round parts. Um, and so we really like were the correct age to grow up with that mm-hmm. very, you know, kind of cultural touchstone fantasy literature. Yeah. And absolutely the biggest disappointment to me was... I really thought this is building to like a bigger question about like, so we're going to we're going to come to the conclusion that it's really weird and messed up that muggles just like live their lives with no knowledge of all the possibilities in the world. And that wizards kind of are segregated away and they hoard this magic to themselves. And and they both groups have this like fear and mythology that's very Mm -hmm. negative around each other and we're going to fix that right and then we get to the epilogue and in fact no right nothing we're going to maintain the status quo and reading that as a then you know when the final book came out being in in college was such a disappointment i was like this is such a missed opportunity so i am over the literal moon to hear you say that like kind of the takeaway of this is like that magic should be for everyone magic even though, you know, some people may be more gifted in some ways, it's not that some people deserve magic and some people don't. I'm, I'm yeah, thrilled. That's oh lovely. my goodness. And, and they say, they, they, they say in publishing school um, <laughs> that uh, a good story requires change. Like change is the key element to any good story. So the fact that like your, your whole story here is going in and saying like, we have a world that is not fair in this way that, you know, magic is is hoarded, it's segregated, to use uh, Kitty's word. And, you know, we have this opportunity to release it for everyone to use. Yeah. Like, that's, that's kind of beautiful, especially like, again, like the generation that grew up with Occupy Wall Street, as we, you know, were leaving college. That's and- right. There's much deeper resonance, isn't it, to that theme? Yeah. And I think we yeah. all really spark to that notion that uh, let's uplift everybody. Because you cannot mm-hmm. just lift up a few. Um, and so the idea is, you know, the royals oppress this process. They mm-hmm. want to keep it all to themselves. And, oh, yeah. you know, there's a line about keep their heels on the necks of the peasantry and just keep magic for themselves. And the idea Ew. is let's not – let's change that. Let's flip that story. And so we – my character and Jay's character are on the wrong side initially. 
Uh, it's why wow. even in the poster, I'm kind of on the dark side. Um, yeah, you get a, a, a heel face turn. I do. I'm an enforcer yeah. in that realm, thinking that that must be correct, that that is the way things are and that's appropriate. And maybe magic people would get hurt. They would hurt themselves with it. So perhaps we should allow uh, only the royals to use it. But then I, you know, accidentally meet Ara. She's practicing magic one day with her pet mouse and she does a wand blast and knocks me off my horse. And I'm asking her, what is, what, what was that thing? And it was her. And so we don't really like each other at first. Um, (laughs) I love it. It's a magical meet cute. Right. (laughs) Enemies to friends to lovers. My favorite. (laughs) Um, should we, should we watch that clip? Oh, yes, please. Yeah. Ducky, roll the tape. Thanks, Ducky. What in the world was that fiery thing that flew in front of me and nearly killed me? Well, I've no idea what you mean, my lord. The forest is full of flying creatures and such. Okay, so that is that the adorable, so like, she's so funny, funny dialogue. You're completely right. At... She's so funny. Yeah. She's very good she's at the, like, sass. flashing eyes, like... <laughs> Could be anything. Who knows? Could be anything. Yeah. CL has this thing we call a micro expressions. They're so tiny, <gasps> mm. but the camera picks them up. They're just a little raise of an eyebrow or a little tweak of a brow or the thing, and they just communicate volumes. Um, it's I a love really, it. really. She's very expressive and she's very gifted. And again, I we got lucky because she was cast. We don't do a lot of acting in the two music videos, right? Just a little bit, but there's, you're kind of stuck with what you can express in these imagery. And it goes really fast, right? These images. Mm-hmm, right. So with this is action packed is how I would describe right. the videos. Yeah. So this is marinated, played out dialogue scenes. Um, and so yeah, I'm just, we feel so fortunate that CL and Mary are our two leads. And yeah, we tried to build the world around them. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, with having those different characters, we rotate story quite a bit. So we're moving, uh, quite often to whether it's Jay's storyline, mine with CL, Mary's storyline. Um, and so that, I think it makes for an entertaining film, that kind of juggling of, uh, stories. Oh, absolutely. Well, in in that way, it's, it is very Lord of the Ringsian, right? You know, because we have, you know, you're, you've got your, your party that, or to use D and D terms, you've got your party that starts together (laughs) and then, you know, the party splinters or like the actions going on in different places. That's right. And And I think that that adds just like to the epic fantasy nature of it. I, I have to mention, ladies, at this point, there's a character in this film that's not a person, and it's our score. We got so ah. lucky. Um, composer Nicholas Repetto um, actually mm-hmm. found me. He he. I was we had put up a couple of things on IMDb, uh, like imagery of the thing, mm-hmm. and the, of course the music videos are out there. And he he said, I I feel like I need to get involved in this. Um, and he was local. And so we had some lunches and we started talking music and I, I love cinema music. I love it. Um, John Williams mm-hmm, yes. being one of my favorites and we had so much in common. So, uh, he, he said, is there a scene or two that I could, you know, kind of temp out? And so we gave him some structure and it was like, Oh, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So, um, we have a symphony orchestra. Uh, oh, it, that's it, incredible. Yeah. That's a, so great. And a live yeah. choir and a horn section and it's, it's two hours plus of music that he wrote. Uh, it's wow. packed with music because this kind of film you do that with, right? You, you yeah, really, yeah. everything has yeah. an underscore and everything's pushed mm-hmm. up. And I know some people don't care for that style, but I love that style. 
Uh, it's, well, and you're yeah. a professional musician and songwriter yourself. And this, the epic story of Empire Queen began with literally music videos. You know, it, I, I would be shocked if there wasn't amazing music in this. Like you, I, I'm not surprised at all that you guys put that kind of care and detail into it. it um, I just love the idea that he came to you, you know? He did. I, and, and, I, go ahead. Uh, well, this kind of makes me want to pull out something, which is that like, Again, kind of thinking about like that perfectionist streak and, you know, kind of the impulse to keep your music inside where it is safe and warm and protected because it will never be criticized by anyone. Um, but at the same time, if you do that, you will never find the allies that you need. I That's think right. for, for Piggy and I, one of the biggest challenges we ran into as business owners was actually finding people who understood our voice, who understood our our vision for what we wanted to be, which was extraordinarily unprofessional at all times, <laughs> at all costs. Um, and, and, you know, kind of taking the leap to trust other people in that process. I, th I think, you know, film is such an interesting meeting because no one can make a film alone. Mm -hmm. no. no one can make a film on their own. Yeah. And um, the more help you have, usually, the better it's going to look, but it requires mm -hmm. a high degree of trust. That's so, right. you know, how is that something that you would say you've you've learned to develop? Did you have any like, maybe especially when you were younger, yeah. like control issues of like, I have a vision for how this should be. And maybe I should do all the music and maybe I should do all of the this and all of that and, and learning to kind of let go. Or was that easier for you? Well, you know, maybe other people would have a different interpretation of that towards me than I do. But I feel as though my tendency <laughs> good is... Good coverage, good coverage. Right? Well, my tendency is to nurture the process, try to encourage people to be, um, to have fun, to enjoy the process, to get involved, and that their creativity matters, their input matters. There's been there were so many examples of uh, on on the set when we're when we're filming a scene when we've got basically what's written. Then it's like, well, let's play with this for a second, and then it, input's coming from different people. It's like, oh, that's better, or let's see what that looks like yeah. in the edit bay, and yeah. it is better. Or it, it, you know, one of the other pillars. I I look at our movie in terms of having pillars. And the pillars mm -hmm. are people. Uh, Nick is a pillar. Jay Schultz is a pillar. Kiki Coral is a pillar. Um, uh, so we have, and Jennifer Barlow is a producer and editor on this film. And I've done 25 projects with Jen. She's my go-to editor. And she probably is tired of me being in the bay because I'm always in the bay with her. But, you know, we're, I love editing so much. I love putting the yes. things together. Uh, so I went to film school for editing. So you're really speaking my language. Oh, my gosh. Praising and I your went editor. to publishing school for editing books. So we're all yeah. on the same page. Right. We, are, we are editing stands <laughs> and for you sure. make a scene or ruin a scene in the edit bay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. so I've heard that the original cut of Star Wars Star was Wars, yeah. absolutely unwatchable. And then his, George Lucas's wife was like, Shh, honey, hold on. <laughs> Get out. Snip, snip, I will snip. recut this. And then and they brought other editors it. in as well on that film. Yeah. Actually, some other people came in and they did their own inventions and their own sense of timing and pace and what drives things. So, uh, so trusting that collaborative yeah. process mm -hmm. is like key to achieving that kind of lightning in a bottle, that That's greatness right. that you uh, can't mm -hmm. achieve on your own. I would say that I have tremendous respect for every member of my team um, and their input is valuable. Um, their contribution matters and their, um, their acknowledging it matters, too. 
so within that process, it's, it's, uh, you know, obviously it's Chris's fantasy world in, in a lot of ways. Cause I, it's all started with this thing in my head and then, but then it's like, Oh, well, in order to make a movie, everybody has to be involved. They really do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and so I'm so grateful. Uh, the, the pillars that we have are significant. I would love to make another movie with my pillars <laughs> and I'm hoping we get to do that. I'm hoping that's where this goes because we've got, um, it's designed to be a trilogy of movies. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if we'll be fortunate enough for that, but if we are, um, I want to take my gang with me. I that will be watch amazing. Yes. all three. I'll watch nine, split them into yeah, however many them like into I will be there. <laughs> the, um, well, so speaking of your collaborators and, uh, is it should we watch a clip Let's of do the clip. composer? That's yeah. So good. Um and you know, again, to your point about speaking of collaborators, thank you, Ducky. <laughs> <laughs> Ducky yes, rules. Thank you, Ducky. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> She's the best. All right, roll the tape. <laughs> My dear, courage won't stop me from ending your little rebellion. The rebellion has just begun. Ugh, you oh had me at naval battle. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that, like, obviously we love everything about, like, Shine On Me and Lightspeed, but, like, the naval battles were, they were up there. They were very high up there. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. We, we, as yeah. mentioned, we shot on a ship. Uh, we, so cool. We also, um, <sighs> you know, we didn't blow up cannons, unfortunately, so that is a little bit of CG, but... Um, we did, we, th- those guys were so important in the finale. They really kind of come to the rescue and they're part of that great triangulated action where they're off at sea, kind of narrating what they see through the spyglass and going, this is what's okay. happening over here. And this is what's happening over here. And we've got to help these people over here. And, and so they're actually causing mayhem on the lands, uh, and th- trying to thwart some of the evil queen's, um, efforts to stop us from doing Love what we it. need to do, which is Love get it. that sovereign wand. Perfect. That's beautiful. I love oh um, <laughs> one of my absolute all time favorite films is The Fugitive. Yeah, mm-hmm. a very underrated it's film in its time that movie. has gotten mm-hmm. and it's gotten the the prestige that it deserves. Yes. Um, you know, now many many years later on, but that is kind of a masterful example of like cross cutting yeah. editing where you know what every character knows, mm-hmm. and so you can see something and immediately know the significance of it. Whereas uh, I think a very unsuccessful action sequence in a film or especially like the big battle sequences that have kind of been shoehorned into a lot of films where they don't belong is kind of watching and in kind of a blur of like i'm so overwhelmed by all the action that's going on that i couldn't tell you what is the significance like who knows what where is everyone are they half an hour away from each other are they 30 seconds away from each other it's it's a lot so i love like kind of having different groups to follow but it's nice and tight like you know all the characters and you know what everybody wants out of a scene thanks kitty i appreciate that and i feel like that was our um real concerted effort was to make sure that all of those storylines in the finale all make sense in terms of what each group's agenda is, what their yeah. goals are, and how when it, it either goes right or wrong, you're you're feeling for that at, at each pace. And Jen was wonderful at splitting that up because uh, I might have gone like, "Oh no, that's really cool. Let's leave. It, let's let it run long." And she's like, "No, no, we'll cut it in two, and it'll be even more fun to go back to." And she was right. Nice. Um, so nice. That- oh, editors are always right. 
love that. I love that. It's my my um, personal opinion, totally unbiased. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris, I I wanted to ask. You know, this was clearly a a long time in the making. Yeah. You know, we worked from from Shine on Me to the release of Empire Queen. Like years have gone by. So you know, how do you keep from experiencing creative fatigue, for yeah. lack of a better term? You know, how do you keep your optimism yeah, up sustaining about, that long-term yeah, creative project because right. you're not sustaining like enthusiasm yes, yeah because you're not you're not like getting like the likes and the follows and the views on youtube like every second like there are long periods of time between releases where like no one's giving positive feedback you know yeah. no one's seeing what you're up to like how do you get through those dark moments and just keep the optimism and the enthusiasm up for. Yeah. It's a great question because I think it's, it's a, it's something that everyone would struggle with, right? Mm -hmm. How do you do a long-term project and keep pushing and keep going and stay active? Um, And I think that notion of once again, being like a, an inspiration junkie is very Mm. true for me. Um, I get so much energy from art. I get so much from it that it, fuels my imagination in such a way and fuels my motivation to go, I want to do that, or I want to finish that, or I want to be in that world. Um, when it first started as a music video, that was easier because that was just a, a consolidated thing. I'm putting out an album. I need a music video for it. Um, even though it took that took six months to make, and Lightspeed actually took one year to make. So I'm oh. used to this idea of germinating and pushing and have things take a while. And this movie took years to make. You know, the pandemic was, uh, as it was for so many films at this particular period in time, a real setback for us. Um, yeah, I bet. But, you know, we, we became triumphant at the end and were able to finish it. And um, I guess having partners that are all equally motivated and kind of have skin in the game really helps because if you do feel down, uh, they, they kind of push you along, uh, in your road to the conclusion. So I would say great partners, shared vision and find your sources of inspiration wherever you can. And for me, sometimes that just feels like living your life where something can come out of left field and go, Oh, wow, I'm really moved by that. That means a lot to me. And, and now I'm invigorated to, to go on. I, I uh, I really love that. Um, I guess I'm full of quotes from famous animators uh, and, and <laughs> illustrators today. Um, but one of my favorite pieces of advice that like what you just said really, really resonated with it, Chris, was um, uh, from Chuck Jones, who is a an absolutely um, genre defining, um, excellent illustrator from the sort of golden age of like, you know, Looney Tunes sort of sort of animation. Um, and he pretty famously said to his own staff, how do you get inspiration? You, you go out and you consume, you, you have to go to the ballet if you want to come up with, you know, the, the very famous, uh, short, what's opera doc. Um, you have to go out and watch opera. You have to go out and listen to jazz. You have to, um, go and watch movies, even if you don't love them, um, and, and come back with something from it. You just have mm-hmm. to go out there and consume the art that you want to create. Um, and so I, I love that advice for like our readers who are, you know, so many of them are like young and have a, 
a creative spirit that, that life hasn't managed to smush down out of yet. them yet. That's right, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And like, yeah. you know, going out there and like consuming the art that you want to make, getting inspiration from a wild variety of sources. Um, I, I would say I'm someone who... Uh, thinks I have a strong idea of what I like and what I don't like. And if you had told me, you're going to love this music video that's got like every single fantasy cliche like smushed into one and and you're and you're going to love it. Um, and I would be like, no, 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 I'm very sophisticated. I like very complex and nuanced things have never been done before in art. I don't like tropes a bit. Um, that is what I would have described as myself. And then seeing your videos I, I was just like completely energized it, and blown away and and was like, I could not have been more, I couldn't have been more wrong about what it is that like fuels my own fire. Yes, yes. It really fuels the fire is a great way to put it because your Chris's work really just it unlocks something. <sighs> That childlike wonder that we all yes. think we need to give up Uncritical. on. Uncritical. I think yeah. un unconcerned with my favorite thing about I'm not gonna gush, but my favorite thing We're about your videos, <laughs> which I, I think I, I said in in our um in our reaction video to the to the newest one, was that like I am going to put into this things that I like and mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop and say like, well, is this realistic enough? Is this like dramatic enough? And I think especially around the time that we watched Shine on Me, we were in art school. And at the time, this was like the mid 2000s where very much the style was super, super gritty. Make everything mm -hmm. gray and brown. Make it very dark, night um, dark was out. and yeah depressing and that's how you will get kind of prestige and credit uh, uh and clout within you know your your industry um basically the darker the better the grittier the better and if for me it resulted in a real feeling of like limitation that mm -hmm. i can't tell a hopeful story i can't tell a funny story i have to like make it something very, very gritty and very depressing in order for it to be viewed mm -hmm. positively by the people who I think I want um, praise and, and recommendation from. So I, I think like it was a real like this is not me just like being too much of a fangirl, but it was a real turning yes, point is. for me. I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. Let's be real. I'm I have yeah. my priorities straight. I'm a big fan girl. But I I I really loved and valued seeing something that came from a place of I love this, so I'm putting it in. Um mm -hmm. this resonates with me, so I'm putting it in. And I'm not gonna stop and say, Oh, is is this like is this necessarily is this like dark and enough. gritty and prestige and realistic? And, and it was, I think it flew in the face of what at the time was a very common genre convention against fantasy and against mm -hmm. kind of more imaginative works, which I think uh, knock on, knock on computer, I think has kind of moved away. I think we're starting to embrace that slightly more joyful, um, interpretation again. I appreciate that, Kitty, a lot. And I feel like some of the confirmations I got back when we put out China Me in particular, uh, from that, that certain, certain people had receptors within their souls or their minds that 
it went right to people. They, it, it communicated to them. Um, the show 30 Rock, the Tina Fey and all those writers, one of their assistants wrote to me and said, they watch this video every time they get stuck in their creation of their show. Would you please send uh, signed albums and videos and photographs to them? I love that. And then, that makes complete sense to yes. me. <laughs> and I went to go. I also went to go visit the um, all the animators at um, Family Guy because they were really big fans <gasps> of it. And I met Seth MacFarlane, and they took me out to dinner because they that art spoke to them in that kind of way. I think that it was. There's just a resonance that comes. And for mm-hmm. me, even prior to doing this, I started watching a lot of fairy tales, even foreign tales, not even in English. There was something yeah. about fairy tales um, that really connected with my spirit at that time and that I wanted to put make this is a fairy tale, hands yeah. down. And I and I believe in that method of communicating that there's morality, there's um you don't you can kind of rise above the politics of your era in a way and speak in terms of resonance and ideals um, without getting mired in this side or that side. So for me, that, that was part of why I put this out was uh, it was really, there was something deep inside that needed to do this. Um, And I was determined to not stop until I got it the way I wanted it to be. I'm incredible. I'm just I'm in love with you hearing you <laughs> describing this process because um, that work that you put in, like, I really think it shows. <laughs> uh, like, it came through very clearly yeah, to me. Absolutely. Oh, um, thanks. Yeah, that's really important. Is the um, and that's for anybody that's doing a project. Don't. I mean, obviously, you can overdo something so it never sees the light of day because it no, it's not quite done. So there is a button or a switch that you have to switch off and go. And, and I will tell you something. Uh, to me. In this, the creation of our film, the standard was, is it good enough? It has to be there because mm. you can't say, is it perfect? Because things will never be perfect. But is Absolutely. that visual effect good enough? Is that performance good enough? Is that scene good enough to then connect to the next one? So um, that's kind of a mantra for me. Is it good enough? And I think that all of us on our group have high standards. And so the idea is like, yeah, that's good enough. Great. Moving on. Perfect. Because you can't get stuck in things because you will get paralyzed and that doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. yeah. I I love that. So kind of on that theme, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was like, obviously, you know, in the course of making these music videos, um, you spent money on some things and um, you have to make a choice as you're going through this process. You have a budget to work with and some things you can invest a lot in. Sometimes it's like, oh, how can we do this with duct tape? Um, how can, how can we sell this with like the bare minimum? That's right. Um, and what would you say? Is there something you can point to that you are like, I am so glad we spent what we spent on this? Because it was worth every penny versus I invested a lot into this. And I'm like, if I could do it again, it wasn't it, it, it wasn't worth that investment. Sure. And I think you'll think it's funny what I'm about to say with this is worth the investment. <laughs> um, after every one of our 100 days of filming, we always went out to a really nice dinner together, the whole team. <sighs> and... That was actually, it was, I, I love it was that. Fun yeah. to recount the day. It was fun to feel the camaraderie, the joint mission that we all had. Um, it, just to celebrate each other, you know, the, the, this yeah. group of people at this particular point in time making this piece of art 
all uh, all in all in it for the long haul. So to me, you don't see that on screen, but that, not a frame of it, right? That's dinner, but it was um, really important and really kind of cherished among all of us. Where are we going to dinner tonight? Plus, these days are hard. We're schlepping stuff over mountains. Oh, and, yes, you know, it's like oh, they're true. They deserve you it. burn yeah. like. Uh, 800 calories a minute. You do. It, they're exhausting. <laughs> and we didn't yeah. have a and giant I would argue, Go ahead. I, I would argue you did see it on screen because well, yes. that, that camaraderie yeah. that you mm-hmm. built over those dinners and the, the chemistry it it absolutely shows. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's my really, really important thing. And, and the, the producers, the talent, anybody that worked on the show that day is coming to a really nice dinner. Um, and, you know, we're taking hours in this dinner and we're talking and we're just enjoying it. And there's photographs and, you know, you're kind of sitting there like exhausted from a really hard day that started probably at five in the morning. But at the same time, you're also loving it. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah. then the other part is, what was the question, ladies? It was, uh, the money oh, that something you, you spent money on, but then did, did not regret it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I will say there's not much of that because it was, you know, we didn't have a giant studio budget. We had a, a, a good size budget for sure. And I can't reveal that just yet because we're in the process of shopping the movie, but I'm sure at some point that will come out. Um, but we, you know, I will say this in the CG process, um, mm-hmm. we had a philosophy of, uh, look, we don't have, we're not Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings. We cannot do, we can't spend a million dollars on a bunch of dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't even spend cl- anything hardly. So the idea is, uh, no dragon budget. No, right. A tiny, <laughs> tiny, tiny dragon budget. But it has to be good enough. So we have to make it short, short and sweet. Yeah. So the magic and the visual effects are very short that I think helps your, your see it and your imagination fills in the blank, but you don't study it too long because there's mm. always this example of like, you know, the, the Columbia TriStar logo in the 80s was a beautiful Pegasus with animated wings. They're cartoon wings. Yes. And at the height of their uh, of that era, the, the head of the studio said, looks great. I love it. But now you look back at it and go, well, it looks like cartoon wings. You know, it, it, you can see that it's kind of rotoscoped yeah, and it and doesn't look as polished. So but it shows seeing that, that logo come up fills me with nostalgia. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to see a great movie. That's yeah. right. So but the yeah. idea is that no matter what we're doing, there'll be a point with which it looks a little bit dated. So for our yeah. visual effects, it was Let's get in and out, make it as quick as possible. Um, nice. and, and hopefully that, that sells it enough. Uh, I'm, I'm certainly proud of it, but you could have, you could have had more money in that category easily because that's what they mm-hmm. do in the big movies. They just spend so Absolutely. much money on that. I know, I say, Piggy, though, this is important for you. Bigger dragon budget. <laughs> yeah, bigger dragon budget, A. Uh, but B, I, I honestly think that, like, if the writing and the the dedication of the cast and crew is there, like, you can have a budget of a dollar and it'll still be a yeah. great story well, on the these, screen. These so, days, it's, there's plugins and uh, programs and all these things that yeah. you know, people are wizards in their living rooms. Um, so I really believe in our era along those lines. I really do. It's a remarkable time, uh, to be alive and to have your own channel. It's basically you have a television network, which is extraordinary. So I think one of the things that a lot of our like listeners and readers deal with is a pressure to specialize that you should, um, choose a career 
when you're 17. You should go to a college uh, to study that career as a major. You should stick with that forever and ever. Um, and if you ever deviate from that path, congratulations, you failed. Um, that that kind of hyper-specialization um, is its own kind of like intense pressure. But I think one of the things that's so fascinating to me about your career is that you are a musician and you're also a producer for things that aren't like epic fantasy music videos um, and kind of how you bring the things that would pay the bills in a day job capacity versus fill your well in a creative capacity. And you kind of synthesize those together into, um, you know, a skill set that allows you to build something that you never would have built if you didn't kind of pursue everything all at once. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little a bit about kind of like the um, the virtues of being a generalist and keeping things as a hobby versus making yeah. everything monetized in a career. For sure. And I will add that I've also held a corporate position for uh, a long time as well. Oh, you poor thing. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> no, no, I'm so grateful for everything. Yeah, I'm grateful for everything. I've been so lucky, so very fortunate in the path that I've chosen in that I've been able to, um, you know, live my zeal and uh, express myself creatively. So again, it's that notion of your A plan, your B plan, and let's put a C plan in there. And you have to take care of yourself. It's so difficult, uh, the world we live in at this time. You know, we have insurance to take care of. We have bills to pay. We have all the things that matter to us that we cannot let slide. Um, so yeah. how is there time, energy, momentum to do your other plans? Well, one thing for sure is don't put a time agenda on your, we'll call it your, your dream. That's a big mistake. <laughs> big mistake, yeah. in my opinion. Because Love that. He, he, you, it has to flow and it has to be within what the kind of the universe provides. Um, it's one of the reasons why I've taken so long to do some of these projects is because the, the doors weren't open. Um, yeah. the yeah. doors are open now for this project and, and hopefully others. But even if this is what we achieve, that this film is really important to all of us and, uh, and very rewarding. So again, it's to me, uh, and not to sound preachy because everybody's got their own rhythm and groove, but I like the idea of wearing lots of hats and you take mm -hmm. everything seriously. Um, but I will say this, when you have your dream as your giant, you know, uh, chalice in the sky that you see it in your mind's eye all the time and you know you're going to get there, whether it's write your first screenplay, produce your first movie, write your first book. Whatever it is, and it doesn't even have to be that creative endeavor. It can be start your own, you know, laundromat. It could be I want to own properties. Uh, it can be anything. Um, yeah. You, you, that that dream, that vision, can get you up in the morning. Uh, it can make the sorrow of life uh, so much sweeter and easier to get through. Um, so I'm such a big believer on have those things, and you have to look within yourself for them, don't you? You have to go. Uh, what, what do I want? What interests me? What is my soul asking for? And how do I bring that into my life? So I don't know if I answered the question, but I, I really believe. Oh my gosh, I was so moved more than answered that, the question. No, you Seriously, absolutely did. So, so are you adding motivational speaker to your <laughs> list, your resume? <laughs> um, so something that I would love to kind of talk about a little bit is the um, the kind of music aspect of the f of the film. Um, we've got, I think, a little clip that oh, Sweet Ducky uh, shall yes. shall 
Thanks, producer Provide Ducky. us with. Thank you, Ducky. Please roll the tape. My name is Nicholas Repetto, the composer of Empire Queen, The Golden Age of Magic. I booked a session in Budapest, Hungary. I loved every moment of it. Was that choir oh singing god. in like yeah. a, a cathedral? So, and oh forgive my me, god! I, I, I don't recall all the names. I know Nick does, and they're on our website. But that that was a Budapest uh, Hungary orchestra. Uh, that is a choir in Maine, uh, thirty-five member choir in Maine, um, all done during the pandemic. Uh, and Nick was there with them. Oh, wow. And there's a horn section in Los Angeles as well. So, and then um, we had a wonderful mixer over at Fox Studios put it all together. Uh, into one giant score. Um, and again, oh there's God. over two hours of, but, of original music. It's yeah. unbelievable. Well, um, just please, the- please release this as an OST standalone. Yeah. Now. Yeah, we I will buy it. That's great. Yeah, and everyone has their theme. Ara has her theme. Uh, I'm Commander Jade Cross is my character. I have my theme. Sterling has his theme. And there's the dark uh, Queen's theme and Lord Voss. Ooh. And so it's... um. It's a beautiful score. It it made it's Wagnerian. Everybody's it got their yeah. own themes. I love it. Yes. I absolutely love it. I, I know that, that I'm going to love the Dark Queen's theme. I'm going to adopt it for my own. <laughs> as a as a musician, that must be like beyond thrilling to you to see like people inspired by what you created. And like an orchestra requires so much like Oh my god, yes. So much communal participation. Mm-hmm. Like again, no one person can make a film. Right. No one person can right. orchestrate their own. Their well, own and even the different soundtrack. parts that needed to be mixed. I mean, you have oh, musicians all over the world. You're coming together uh and and just bringing that back into the studio to mix it together. I mean, like if I'm, you know, collaborating with one other musician in the same city, like that's <laughs> difficult. So I just I can't even imagine the logistics yeah. alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's what was amazing is how they could bring it all together, have it all sound like it's the same space, which it does. Uh, and it was just masterfully done. And I when when our executive producer, Kiki Coral, first heard it, uh, she cried when she heard the score. It was so Aww. moving to her. And, and I, I have to say, I shared that feeling when I saw it with picture. I was like, oh my gosh, we are so lucky to be working with Nick. We, and he's such a great guy, too. He's just a lovely person. And um, and he's, you know, now family, right? I want to work on yeah. everything with him. Um, so, and I really hope good things happen for Nick on this as well, because, you know, composers need to do their next movie and their next movie. And he's of always course, working. Yeah. I know that. But I do know this, that he hadn't quite done anything like our film. And I think it's why he was so keen mm-hmm. to do it. Uh, a epic fantasy adventure period piece. Uh, of its own magical realm. He's like, sign me up for that because it's hard to get those kind of gigs. Um, oh, I'm sure. You know, because well, especially are usually- right now when ev- everything's Game of Thrones level, like it's everyone's big. trying to do the next Lord of the Rings. Right. And, big, big, big. Yeah. and our film is not big, big, big. It's small, but it doesn't know it's small. 
I kind of love that, like, um, so much of the marketing around the new Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon is about its budget and saying it's a billion dollars, it's a billion dollars, it's a billion dollar TV show. And kind of that setting the expectation in people's minds that like, oh, well, then it must be absolutely unimpeachably fantastic and perfect in every way. Uh, and then to I quote think, the great philosopher Shania Twain, that don't impress me much. <laughs> <laughs> For real, like, then I think when people, you know, would would watch it, they would go like, all right, well, like, but why does this scene make so little sense? And like, yeah, where's why that is budget? the CG in this scene kind of looking a little bit rough? I think you set yourself up for more criticism when you kind of brag about like, here's the amount of money that we invested I, in it. I'm so with you, ladies. I really am. I think it's a, a counterproductive move at that scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really do. And you, you you want it to cure world hunger if you're going to spend a billion dollars on a exactly. movie. Right. right? Yes. It's like, come on, you guys. It's got to do everything. Right. Yeah. If you... I mean, honestly, like as a as a fan, as a viewer, if I'm watching something that I know is probably low budget, like, you know, one of my favorite TV shows, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the first seasons, especially like the the CG on that was like pennies, so low budget. But I they just rubbed pennies on their faces (laughs) until they turned into bumpy vampires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I, I loved it because it wasn't. It didn't overpromise, mm-hmm. but like they did so much with so little. And that to me as a fan, like I, I gave them the other like 10% they needed in my imagination I really to get where they were that. going. I do indeed. And, and again, we're not able to currently reveal our budget. I will say we, we worked really hard with relatively small dollars, um, and a very tight knit crew who are a lot of hats, a lot of hats were worn, which actually made it more fun, truthfully. Um, I bet. and so, uh, I think when the when our final figures do come out, I think you guys will be happy with what how oh, we did what we did. I'm excited. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I assume so. Um, so one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, kind of around like, so you mentioned that the budget for Shine on Me was seventy thousand, which I agree. From like a if you're making a professional music video at around that time, it would have been. <laughs> half a million for like you know so 70,000 for me I'm like oh so economical but to many of our readers they're going to say oh that's like a year salary or two year salary absolutely um, which I think like again there's been a lot of developments technologically in terms of the democratization of content creation where people can do more with less um but all the same if you have like a passion and a drive and a vision for something that does require a budget, was this something that you kind of budgeted for for a long time and said, like, I'm going to save up the money to do kind of what's in my head for this? Did you mentally ever negotiate with yourself and say, like, I have this idea for a really cool music video, but it would be expensive. So maybe I should do something more like me standing in front of a guitar and, and a green screen and just playing it. Like, did was that a, a negotiation that you entered into with yourself as, as a creative person? With the Shine On Me budget, um, I didn't know it would spend that, I would spend that much. I just couldn't stop creating. 
In other words, <laughs> love it. <laughs> we we booked pan, we the Panavision stages where we shot the green screen. Then we went out into the world again. It was thirty five millimeter film, which then has to be telecined. Which then at that time you it's so expensive. I mean, you couldn't so even expensive. buy drives back then. Terabyte drives. I had to have a RAID array, which was like nine drives yeah. all uh, arrayed together. Oh my god! Um, and yes. it was like, oh, that was so expensive. Now it's like, oh no, I went down to you know Best Buy and got a t- you know. 15 terabyte drive that could house all of it. But so a lot of the money, bucks, yeah. right? A lot of the money that I kept having to spend on the first video didn't even have to spend close to that on the second. The second, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was maybe twenty three thousand dollars for the second video, yeah. right? So Just because of technology the scale changing comes down, wow. and with our movie, yeah. the, those technologies, um, it, it, like for example, Jay Scholz is a very gifted uh, drone pilot, and he, you know, we, a lot of the film is shot on drone. And, you know, with drones, you get basically dolly tracks, you get cranes, yeah. you get ladders, you get helicopters, and about seven oh other things. Oh, my God. And uh, he's yeah, a wonderful yeah, yeah. drone pilot. So that was a really neat way for us to make the movie look so much bigger. Um, yes. And even in the music video, you see Jay's, that's Jay flying around in the drone for me on the rocking oh on, the, on, the, on, the, on the rock. Love it. Um, I, I love that because like, I, I think that that to me is kind of, um, that's an example of how if you have a vision, you can figure out how, how would, you know, Hollywood with a billion dollar budget, how would they do this? But then you can ask yourself like, well, how do I fake it? And so many of the best films, um, you know, the, the best music videos, uh, the, the best like stories about like recording albums, they're very much around like, oh, well, we found, uh, you know, a, a weird, uh, piece of metal that when you flapped it, it made a weird noise. So yeah. we use that it's as, great. as the sound effect Absolutely. and the kind of creativity that can come from want, um, is amazing. I, I I think it's very underrated, like to just dive in and start doing and pay attention to everything around you. And if you can come up with a vision for what you want, like eventually you will find a way to either make it or just fake it. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is the time to do that because you, as you're saying, you can buy the gear for cheap. You can buy the editing equipment for cheap. You can do it all and express yourself. Um, and then the key is just have something you feel is worth saying, right? Have something you're passionate about saying. And, um, so for us on this project, we had, a, there's a lot of what I would call cinematic cheats. Um, <laughs> and the cheats are, you know, we're here, but we're also doing it here and, um, I don't want to reveal too much about our, our secrets, but uh, there's a lot of things that look really, really expensive that aren't. A, a lot of Love them. it. Yeah. And so, the, you know, a lot of ways, what's expensive is traveling and putting people up in hotels and airfare and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, actually, once you're there and you've got everybody with their gear together, then it's like, oh, this is, this is just us in costumes saying our lines and doing whatever the action is. And that winds up being pretty cheap, uh, relatively speaking. Um the costuming on the film was very fun, though, and that was a, an expense for sure because it's, you know, 100 plus costumes for sure. Oh, wow. And, yes. um, and I know that it bumps people, uh, the mixed era aspect of Shine and that will be the movie. And the idea is look, it's a fantasy realm. This is Hilarion. It's not exactly. a real place. 
Mm -hmm. It's not like Regency England or whatever. Like it's fantasy. Anything can happen. Whatever fits with your creative vision. That's right. So that's kind of where we're at. Is uh, we've got our own universe, and we tried to make it period of a certain couple hundred years um, in uh, world time. But hopefully people spark with the characters and aren't so locked into. But that costume should be in that era, and this costume should be in this era. So you were mentioning that amazing drone footage uh, in the the most recent music video. Um, and I have to ask, where is it shot where you're like standing on those incredible rock formations just rocking out? Sure. That's actually in Ch- you know Chatsworth, California, which is known for its rocks. And it's been in a okay, million movies. Yeah. Uh, and the only th- trick that we added to that is it was a very kind of washed out day. We did mm-hmm. sky replacement. As well. So okay. the cool yeah. sky that's tracking with everything we that is a replacement. I love that. And I love like the magic of fantasy movies. Like you can be in Oregon, in California, in Maine, all of these different places, and yet it it comes together into this cohesive fantasy realm. We all know that like New Zealand is Middle Earth, and now right. I will forever be thinking of, you know, the coast of Oregon <laughs> and these beautiful rock formations in California. Like that's the third kingdom. That's the right. that's it's, Ara's home. It's our world. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so speaking of the beautiful landscape, I think we have uh, another clip. So let's roll the tapes. A magic map. In a way, yes. This discovery will cripple the rebellion and make our queen the most powerful of all three sisters. So those are the sisters. Nice. They're all queens of their own realm. And the gentleman that's with Jay uh, overlooking that, that's Matthew Burlow. Matt was another one of our pillars. He uh, he also is a cinematographer on the film and um, just one of my dearest, dearest friends. And uh, he was part of the joy of making this film. So I just want to shout out to, to Matt because he's awesome. I love that. And I love, you know, every time someone appears on screen, you can tell you, you're talking about them with some genuine love and respect. Um, I mean, you guys must be closer than family. I after love this my whole project. team. I, I love my team. Yeah. And again, I, we would, we're all like going, I hope we get to make another one because we had so much fun. And if we got to put more money onto the budget, we would just travel more. I would love to take the film to Iceland. Um, <gasps> you know, these, I'd like to take the audience to see things. That you don't see every day that are exotic and have interesting thing happens happening in those places. Um, oh, and we know how to that. do that. We know how to do that pretty efficiently, by the way. We're pretty Ooh, good at really? this. Uh, yeah, we're pretty good at, at uh, a lean crew. Get in, get your shots, get your B-roll, get some drone footage and get out. Nice. That Love efficiency, it. like it, it must make everything so much more cohesive. Um, what, where can we see? The culmination of all this brilliance. When, when, and where can we see Empire Queen? Well, we're doing our cast and uh, cast and crew screening at Warner Brothers in two weeks, and we're very excited about that. So very cool. Then we're in the process of shopping this. We actually, um, I feel like the goal of the picture, and it could go theatrical. Although in today's market, with the well, you know, with the competition and with the limited thea- theatrical films these days, I feel like it's a streaming picture. And I will say one mm-hmm. thing. It actually could wind up being a series. The running time is two hours and 25 minutes. Um, with, uh, there's built-in breaks that are just kind of mm-hmm. natural every 30-minute breaks with bumpers 
and um, recaps and credits on all the episodes, we would have six 30-minute episodes. And I don't think it would detract from the flow of it. So we have two ways to sell the project. And I'm truthfully, I'm open to both. I love the all-in-one. Yeah. But if it wound up being a series, that could be really fun as well. And we're, we're, it's a very easy edit to do. Oh, my God. I would love to do like watch parties for, you know, each episode and get everybody together and just like we used to do in college. <laughs> That's great, Piggy. And I think the, the, the goal would be what does the distributor find the most appealing with, for their audiences? And, you know, we're, we're knocking on the doors of Netflix and Amazon and Apple and Hulu and Disney Plus and, you know, all the, all of the ones that are, um, so popular these days. And, and that's something different too. You know, that, yeah. that stuff didn't exist 10 years ago. And some no, of it not Netflix even, was DVDs in the mail that's right. back when Shine and, On Me came out. That's yeah. right. And some of it not even five years ago with HBO Max and um, Disney Plus yeah. being within the last two years. So it's a really interesting time to be doing this. Find a way to create your own art. Yeah, I think, you know, this has kind of been the theme of this whole conversation we've had is that, you know, A, don't hesitate to make your art and B, we're living in a time at which it has become so much easier to make that art. The barriers are so low. And I'm just I'm thrilled that that means, you know, more of the world can become just as obsessed with your work as we are. <laughs> well, that's very nice of you. And I, and I, um, I'm always so grateful, as, as I've mentioned, that people, when people spark to the art, it, it means a lot to me. And I guess the one challenge will be, will people who like the music videos like the movie? Um, or is mm. it a completely different audience? I, I'm hoping that they do. I know that everybody that enjoys the music videos is invested with their own connection to it. Um, mm -hmm. And so when all of a sudden my character is talking, right, and CL is talking and Jay is talking and we're all doing different things and oh, there's a lot of comedy, um, will that <laughs> fit with people's notion of it? Or will they just go, look, that's that. And I did try very hard to integrate story elements that you see represented in the videos in the movie. It is actually a retelling in ways. There are, are the mm -hmm. angels that you see in Shine. There's an angelic aspect to this movie. Um, and so hopefully those, those through lines will be like, Oh, I see. Um, uh, so I'm, I, you can understand my, my desire yeah. to have people respond to it. Uh, and I just don't know if that's going to happen. Well, we'll reserve judgment. That's right. But, uh, <laughs> please be kind. <laughs> Yeah, we absolutely will. One thing that I, I wanted to ask you, which is kind of the um, when you make something that's in a genre that not everyone is a fan of, like some people fantasy just leaves them cold. Fine. Right. So be it. Um, when you're making something that, you know, this is not for everyone. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on especially maybe less experienced creators um, to be people pleasers who want to appeal to the broadest possible demographic, who want everyone to like what they do, who want to have the biggest possible audience. And so kind of like moderate out everything that would feel too extreme to a general audience. Um, I think one of the things that Piggy and I did was um, one of the best decisions we made as business people was we called our blog Bitches Get Riches. Mm -hmm. And there was a certain degree of people 
who were going to hear that name and just immediately go, now, now, that's not for me. And we were like, <laughs> yes, right. perfect. You are not the audience that we want. And we rejoice in driving you away early on um, so that we can pull in that audience who really does resonate with who we are and what we do and what we have to say. Um, so kind of as someone who works in a genre that is not for everyone, um, have you ever felt that pressure to... Um, you know, appeal to a broader demographic to maybe um, moderate yourself um, in in your mind? Or have you always felt very firmly like, no, this is my vision. This is what I want to do. And I'm just going to do it. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. Yeah, I, I it's a great question. It's a, for all of us, right? As creators, is do you try to appease basically strangers that are in your head, right? Voices. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. do you uh, do what your spirit tells you to do? Do you pursue a vision that you hold dear? And I would say, please pursue a vision that you hold dear um, always because you can't, there's no way you can always try to go, oh, I want this, these people to like it and these people to like it. It's like, that won't even work anyway. The truth is you have to please yourself. You have to make something that you're proud of, that you want your name on. Um, because if you fail and you try to please people, you're going like, well, I should have just done what I wanted to do anyway because it didn't succeed. Yes, so yes, do, yes. You know, follow your zeal. Do what you feel is uh, is authentic to your who you are at this time that you're creating the art, and then let the let the world decide, and the world will decide that people will find it. Um, that's what's neat about this stuff is your audience will find you. Right. It's like field Your of dreams. If you, you build it, they will come. Yes. Yes. I absolutely. I absolutely love it. I have to say the best part about having an employee, shout out Ducky, is that like the first time we mentioned Christine Owens to her, she was like, okay, um, this is like another business thing. Should I be taking notes about this? What's it? What? What's going on? You guys are really talking for a long time about this person. Is he and we're like, yes, you should be taking And we're notes. like, no, he's just the foundation of our friendship. Um, <laughs> so the best part about having an employee has been seeing Ducky go from like, what's this, what's this Christine Owens thing to, oh, my God, Christine Owens liked us on YouTube and like sending us <laughs> texts at like 11 o'clock at night where she's like, Christina, oh my God. And CL, she liked this too. And, and we were just like, yes, who you've converted That's another. Um, but so <laughs> my, my partner uh, is also a gigantic fan. Huge and fan. Um, <laughs> the first time that I think that you, you followed us back yep. on Twitter. We were on a road trip and I was checking Twitter and I said, out loud, I was like, Christine Owens is following us on Twitter. He said, what? I said, Christine Owens is following us on Twitter. And he like pantomime driving <laughs> off the road. Um, so I have this this very old note um, that I have saved, uh, which was a bit of, of dialogue with, with me and my partner, which I just thought was so funny, which is, I asked him in a challenging manner, which is better, shine on me or light speed? And he said, you cannot ask me that. One blasts you into the stratosphere and the other makes you soar. Those are two completely different feelings. And then we drove on in silence for about two more minutes. And then he said, is it immature of me to say shine on me? <laughs> Maybe it is, but I can't change the way I feel. <laughs> That's wonderful. That makes me so happy. So, um, I can, I can you, hear him saying that too. Huge fans in our household 
I find a way to work one of your songs into every one of my road trip mixtapes. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. Um, thank you for sharing your art thank with you. us and with the world. I, I hope you. this is fun for it's you. It's so <laughs> magical. And I'll tell you, ladies, this has been one of the thrills is the people I've gotten to meet and chat. And now I feel like we're family and like you're all coming, oh my you're God. All coming with me. You just made my day. <laughs> right. So we are forever yes. connected because of the art. Listen, Absolutely. I'm I'm, I'm not one to criticize. I think one thing you're really missing is you have these like cool, edgy, pretty witches. Um, yes. who are like witch. You need monarchs. a couple of bridge trolls. I think you're missing trolls. that like Snow White bog witch <laughs> element. Yeah, we're very good. And at I bog think we witching. could bring that. So if you ever do any any sequels, any filming, we would love to be there with like big warty prosthetic noses. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. will get ourselves to LA. We will hitchhike the whole way. Uh, but uh, we're there are ready. So many people yeah. that we want to pull into the sequel. Uh, there's. There's the, the Game Grumps guys and the Mega 64 guys. Yes. And, uh, you know, yes. John Hedder, who is Napoleon Dynamite, he and his brother Dan are really big fans of this. Yes. And, they, and we almost got them in the movie. In I fact, love they were, it. it was just a scheduling thing, uh, cause they were so excited about oh it. Gosh. So the next movie we have to. Even if we're just like a rabble crowd, like a crowd going, yeah, that's right. right. Like I would Fist be in, the, I'd be into that. <laughs> Peas and carrots. <laughs> yeah, make it a real who's who. Yeah, so you're in. You're part of our family now. You can't get rid of us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And we're so excited for the movie. The um, good luck with all the distribution stuff. So, like, I don't understand that, but I am rooting for it. It's a whole it. other process to um, making a thing. Yeah. You have to put on your sales yeah. hat. Now, I've sold shows before, as, as we mentioned. So it's, you know, I'm I'm okay with it. It's just everything takes longer and there's getting people to call you back and, yeah. you know, then terms and all that stuff. But I'm very hopeful. I'm really proud of what we've done. I love my team. Everyone worked so hard and we were very lucky. Things worked really nicely for us. So I just hope that we can get it to everybody's living rooms before you know it. Yeah. And I'll certainly let you know and maybe we'll we'll watch it together at some point. I would love that. I would love that. Oh my God. It's so exciting. Um <laughs> we will continue to blast you all over our social media to you oh know build the family That's some lovely. more. Thank so. you, lady, so much for having me. Yeah. Of course. Chris, thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much. <laughs> Listeners, if you want us to answer your question, go to BitchesGetRiches.com and click Ask the Bitches. After all, this podcast is listener-supported. We are committed to never, ever putting our best content behind a paywall, only our worst content. So if you like what we do and you want us to keep doing it, you can support the podcast by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash bitchesgetriches. And if you need even more bitches in your life, and who could blame you, you can read our articles or follow us on social media at bitchesgetriches.com. So, Chris, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want our audience to know that we have officially given you a Bitches Get Riches name, which is Wolfie, and that is how you will forever be in my heart. So thank you, Wolfie. I love it. Um, is there anything else that everyone should know about where to where to find you and your music and your music videos? Yeah, this will be real easy. Uh, for stuff related to the movie, there's a website. It's just empirequeenmovie.com. And then for me, which also would link you back to some of this material, it's just ChrisDaneOwens.com. And that's it. Good to know. Bitches Bitches out. out.